What's going on, everyone? The day has finally come, and you do not want to miss this episode of Pounding the Table. We're interviewing the Mooch, Anthony Scaramucci, where we're going to get the down low on what it's like working underneath President Trump, his thoughts on crypto, and we'll even touch on the values of relationships. But we're underway, and I do mean underway. I wonder why fund managers can't beat the S&P 500, because they're sheep. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to episode four, season four of Pounding the Table. Want to give a quick shout out to our sponsor over at StockTwits. Join millions of investors to talk about stocks, cryptos, a whole lot more. It's where we kind of get the pulse of the markets. You know, we first wake up, got to check the ticker symbols on StockTwits. Too much noise elsewhere, of course. And so, Go download StockTwits in the App Store. Before you know it, you'll see what actual investors and traders are saying in real time about your favorite stocks and crypto. All right, Tony. I know everyone's super excited about this Mooch interview. It is absolutely hilarious. We did this yesterday, but we're live here today because we got to go through the StockTwits trending tickers of the week. So kick us off here. I think QQQ. Uh, still- 100%. It's a great way to start, Avi. I mean, it's... It's really interesting. You know, I think we've been saying about the same tune for a, you know, a few months now. And so I know a lot of people are asking what stocks are looking good, like what earnings are looking good. And like we had that little period where companies would go out and have great earnings and they would rip and everything would get sold off or they would dip and then just continue to dip. And so I cannot stress this enough that the whole get better to get better thing works both ways. If it gets worse and gets worse, right? Like you have to wait for that inflection point. And so there's nothing that matters, like no EPS, no fundamentals, nothing at all matters worth a shit. Like if you were to remove Fang from NASDAQ, you would see that, you know, that chart also resembles a 2001 uh, mirror image. So while the markets look really, really nice on the surface, that's because QQQ is 50% plus made up of Fang. And, you know, with another one or two in there that are at the same market cap. So while QQQ does not look really bad in the slightest, right? Like it's just back to levels not seen since like a few months ago. That's fine. But when you consider the fact that like there's a ton of companies in QQQ that are way below their 52 week uh, lows. And some companies are just honestly never going to come back from that just because a lot of those companies just ran for no reason. And I think that, you know, obviously multiples and valuations got stretched. But that's going to take a little while to repair. And we're going to see that over the next year. But I will say is that, you know, if you look towards the next six to 12 months, like, do I think that the markets in general, especially the pondinomics of the indices will be fine? Yeah, I would say so. But as that starts getting better, then you're going to start being able to like, you know, trickle down there and look at different companies. The macros have really taken the limelight here within the markets. Uh, So talk to us a little bit what's going on with like gold and the effect on Bitcoin that you're seeing. Everyone's kind of talking about the flight to the dollar as we've seen with DXY. Yeah, 100% obvious. I mean, like the reason why all those have been on the trending tickers, right? Like we've got DXY, which is the dollar, like flight to the dollar, like price rules everything around me, like we say in the beginning of the, the podcast with the Wu-Tang Cream song. But I mean, right now you're seeing that the Russia impacts, the Fed impacts, just everything's kind of just coalescing into a huge you know, rally for commodities. And so you're seeing wheat fly, you're seeing gold and oil is just absolutely nuts. And that's, you know, a big part to do with Russia. I will say like, you know, whatever I've said about Trump in the past on these pods, like Trump did a really, really good job when he was in the presidency of, you know, our own reserves and our own geopolitical structure in terms of commodities and such. And we need to definitely start really pumping the shit out of our own oil reserves and just completely flood the market with it. But you know, we'll see what happens there. I don't know why America thinks it's smart to keep strength in a lot of reserves right now, especially considering the fact that we're moving towards more and more adoption for EVs, right? And like transportation's over 30% of the entirety of uh, the use of oils. But I mean, you're going to continue to see commodities flying and flying, flying, um, just right. That's just inflation, right? And we got CPI coming up again. And so we definitely need to see some type of you know reduction in inflation i just don't freaking understand how we're going to see that when you've got oil you know just chugging to crazy highs so what we really need to do honestly like i think that the fed is even in a worse spot right now because had they done a little bit of tightening right before the russia conflict i think it would have done a lot better just because it would have helped to quell inflation but right now 
we're just getting the brunt of all of it, right? So we've got war on one side, possible additional wars, right? We got like China moving around Taiwan. You've got Ukraine trying to join the EU. And if that happens, then the entire world goes to war with Russia. So I'm not over here trying to FUD the situation, but I just want everyone to know that it's a very, very shit situation. And it just seems so similar to 2018, where we were having these tariffs on China. Trump was beefing with Z and like, this is so similar in a complete like history never repeats, but it does rhyme and it's rhyming like a fucking, you know, like an M&M bar right now. Out here. <laughs> huh? The Dr. Seuss. Yeah, dude, it is really rhyming like it, like like shady right now. So yeah. we're going to have to wait and see what's going to happen, because I mean, I do think that we're having these peace talks right now. You know, you got Israel PM going to meet with Putin, but it's going to end uh, one of three ways. And none of those ways end with Putin making it out, in my opinion. So we're going to have to just wait and see what ends up there. But you're going to continue to see commodities and uh, you know the dollar and the Nasdaq go to the top trending tickers because. When things like this happen and it's so, so, so macro and geopolitically oriented, nothing matters about the company, right? Like somebody was talking to me and saying like, what do you think about these reports, these earnings and stuff? And I've been saying this since literally the pod starts. And I was like, fundamentals don't matter and they don't matter both ways, right? Because like you've got the Ponzonomics of the FANG stocks, right? You've got Facebook, you've got Amazon, uh, like Netflix, Google, all these companies that, you know, despite Facebook going down a lot, they still, right, the majority of those are holding up the indices. And so you can look on the surface and say things are fine. You look underneath the surface and things are fucking shit. So it's really, really, you know, it's not one of those things where any earnings is going to do well. Like we talked about these earnings that showed up on stocks with too. Snow, down bad. You know, you've got Plug, another EV, down bad. Zoom, down bad. Lucid, down bad. So you're going to be having more and more companies just shit the bed regardless of the report, in my opinion, until conditions improve. And the only way that they're going to improve is if, Inflation goes down and tightening, which is hard during a war that's completely based on oil. And oil is just like the biggest driver of inflation possible. And, you know, you also have to consider that 70% of all commodities are priced in the dollar. So that's why DXY Mm -hmm. is definitely trending. You have to understand that nothing fucking matters and nothing of your little like spreadsheets or these copy pasta reports of earnings and your own takes. And like, you know, all these guys who like take photos of like the other screenshots and and tweets and everything. And they try to give analysis right now, like none of it matters. And this is why we like, you know, you can't pound stocks in a horrible market. You can't say things are good until they get better, right? Because once they get better, then they will get better, but they're not there yet. All right, let's get over to Mooch, man. This, This interview, get ready for it. Mooch is a monster. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Pounding the Table. Very excited here for our guest today, Anthony Scaramucci, aka The Mooch. Anthony had worked in the past at Goldman Sachs, investment banking, equities, private wealth management between 1989 and 1996. After he left Goldman Sachs, he had started Oscar Capital Management, where he founded then investment firm Skybridge Capital, where he is the founder there today. You also may know him from under the White House Communications Director under President Trump. Most recently, he's been started in his own podcast, Mooch FM, which everyone should definitely check out. Had a chance to listen to a few of the shows prior to this interview and actually genuinely really enjoyed them. You like, didn't mention I got fired from the White House. You guys are like polite. Uh, guys. I mean, <laughs> but I mean, I, I, you know, I mean, everybody knows I got fired. It wasn't that big of a deal. And the guy that fired me, General Kelly and I are good friends. So, I mean, life goes on, right? What are you going to do? Exactly. But if Trump goes to run again, I got to get back involved. We got to bash his skull in because he's a <laughs> uh, anti-democratic, seditionist and traitor. Uh, but so, you know, we'll, we'll worry about that when the time comes. But I predict on your podcast, the orange maniac will not be running for president again. OK, all right, but let's go. What do you want to talk? You heard about? it here first. So, yeah, yeah I was no going to say we're going to get into no some chance. Stuff. The orange maniac could run, especially <laughs> after he's disgraced himself with Vladimir Putin. And he's you know, he's got criminal charges that are probably going to be dropped on him because he's president. But still, there's enough there that's going to stick. That's going to slow him down. Love it. Well, we'll, but, we'll you know, people uh, like him. I mean. You know, the guy could eat like 26 cannolis and 75 like large pies and live to be 200, right? That evil, you know, the only the good die young, you know, Trump will live to be like 110. You know what I mean? (laughs) 
Yeah, soda can a day. Like the oldest person in the world just drank a couple uh, liters of soda every day. Yeah, exactly. Made it to like 130. These, these people don't die. You know that, right? Exactly. I mean, they stay, they stay on, man. They they <laughs> drag it out, man. Love it. So, yeah, so we'll get into some of these questions. Definitely have to ask you about what it was like working under Trump there for sure. But, you know, Mucha FM, real quick, if we could touch on that, I know, you know, would love to hear why you started it and, and how that's going for you right now. Well, I mean, you know, it's sort of, you know, I, I had no plans to start a podcast. What happened to me is I walked into a radio show. I was fired from the White House in July of uh, 2017. Uh, cotemporaneous to that, my wife had filed for a divorce on me. Uh, so in addition to personal problems that we were having, she hated Donald Trump almost as much as Melania hates him. I mean, right. <laughs> up and so we were really fighting. Uh, I got fired from the White House. Uh, we were in a divorce court, literally. I walked out of the divorce court with her and I was like, hey, could I meet you later today? I said, come on, you love me. I love you. Let's bury the hatchet, go to a marriage coach or something like that. Let's put this thing back together. So we made a commitment to each other to do that. We dropped the divorce and I was in LA two weeks later doing an interview like this radio host looks at me and says, wait, 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 wait. Is that your wife? I said, yeah. Well, I, I read in the New York Post that you guys were getting divorced. I said, yeah, we patched it up. They never they never put the patch up in the post. They put the you know, wipe out in the post, right? So he's like, well, he goes, you know, you're an interesting interview, but I would really like to interview her. Is that cool? I said, yeah, no problem. So he brought her into the radio studio and he's interviewing her. And then he invites me in. He's interviewing both of us. And it turned into a podcast called Mooch and the Misses. And the <laughs> podcast took off. It was like very fun to do. It was very popular, lots of downloads. Uh, but it was, we're talking lip gloss, MAC makeup. Of course, I, I, I wear more makeup than the two of you on most days, <laughs> okay, because of my television appearances. And, you know, my, you know, Deirdre decided she didn't want to do it during COVID because, you know, you can't talk about all this superficial nonsense and right. which champagne to buy and which Mexican restaurant is better than the other and how to make the guac right. Mm. You know, she didn't think it was appropriate. So we dropped it. And so the group that had it said, okay, well, what about you interviewing people? And we'll call it Mooch FM. So we transitioned it to Mooch FM. Maybe we'll bring the missus back at some point. Yeah. Um, but, you know, like you guys, you know, it's reasonably popular. I get a lot of downloads every week. I'm a big book reader. So the books in my office here are actually things that I read. So it's not like I'm just showcasing them. Yeah. And so I got a lot of I got a lot of fun authors that come on. Um, I bring on national security expertise, Governor Christie, H.R. McMaster, mm -hmm. David Petra. I mean, I have a whole list of different guests that we bring on, um, but also Bitcoiners. Yeah. macro economists. Uh, I'm an eclectic person. And so we talk about anti-aging. We talk about food, oh, we talk cool. about sports. You know, I've mm -hmm. had Bobby Valentine on, <laughs> I've had uh, sports uh, owners on. There was um, the one you just talked about with like life after death. I found really interesting. Yeah. Aria Jaeger. So yeah. she's, a, she's a spiritualist. She believes in reincarnation. She wrote a great book. So this is an example the book, I think got recommended to me by somebody. I read the book. So I reached out to her on social media. You know, this is a big lesson for your people listening to you guys on Pound the Table. Mm -hmm. Use the social media as a tool. I am blown away at the people I can reach over Twitter, mm -hmm. over Instagram, where I can DM them mm -hmm. and say, hey, I read your book. The book is great. Could you? Would you? You know, and all the next thing you know, they're sitting in my uh, right. podcast studio or on my Zoom and we're we're talking about stuff, you know, so so use that as a tool and don't be bashful. Remember what Ben Franklin once said, if you mm -hmm. want a friend, ask him for a favor, Yeah. Uh, because what ends up happening is they'll likely do the favor. Now there's a reciprocity circle created mm -hmm. and a positive feedback loop and you're off to the races. Love, Love that. Yeah. Worst thing you can ever get is a no. So always just ask whatever you want. Very cool, man. I mean, I love having you on already. Uh, really What's up to with the millennial beards, though? I mean, what's <laughs> up with that? You guys all want to yeah. look like middle relievers for the Boston Red Sox. Yeah, so. Working from home, right, man. Son's 29. <laughs> right. He's got the beard. I mean, what's up you, with the beard? 
I don't have a choice. I'm Moroccan, so this thing comes back in a day and a half, no matter what. So yeah, so that's, I just that's rock how it you look time. after you shave, right? So what's up with you, Ivy? What's up? This with is that a five o'clock show, man. You know, how, and it's uh. I think it's you're trying to look like a rabbi. You going to work? <laughs> I think it's more of the working from home. You know, now I'm actually in the crypto space myself. So I mean, this the is audience is kind of there. Yeah. You guys are all, you know, it's like you know, diet by grunge, fashion by grunge. You know, <laughs> okay, you know, it could be you could look like Steve Bannon, which is like contemporary hobo, right? right there you with go. A slight with a slight al- alcoholic blotchy twinge. You know what I mean? But you guys are all, I mean, I don't get you guys. I love it. Yeah, I'm, I'm on the same side here. So, yeah. right. so sorry, Ant. I'm just you know firing. No, it up. All right, go ahead. You're good. Ask, you're me, good. ask I mean, me anything you want, brother. I love it. Yeah, I mean, so we on the podcast we get a ton of questions. People are always asking stuff, but we you know we have time to kind of figure out what's going on. So I wanted to know how you prepared yourself and the president, you know, to handle questions from the press, you know, because I'm sure you get a bunch of less, you got a bunch of left field questions all the time there. So must have been definitely uh, difficult. And I guess to add on that too, what book or article would you recommend to someone in the field maybe to uh, get a good handle on how to do it besides just natural hustle? So you're talking about communication and podcasting or the presidency in the office when, when you were in the, yeah, when you were, in I'd the like to hear about the president, like, yeah. how, you know, you know that's, so the, that's be, the, be, different. the best <laughs> book is actually by a controversial guy who's now passed. His name is Roger Ailes. He was the president of Fox news. He wrote a book 30 years ago called you are the message. And I think it was an incredibly well-written book about you and about how don't be somebody else. You're not Jack mm-hmm. Kennedy or Richard Nixon, but you're Avi and Tony and that you have your own personality and make sure you express the realness of your personality mm-hmm. ultimately will drive your popularity in your podcast or your media mm-hmm. presentations is not trying to look or sound like somebody that you're not, but just mm-hmm. being who you are. I thought that was probably the best book that I read about communications, tele communications, meaning television communication or outreach like this on a, on a podcast, but to talk about the president and to be fair to him, Mm. uh, because him and I want to punch each other's lights out today at this point in our lives, but to be fair to him, he is an incredibly gifted communicator. Okay. To say otherwise, because you don't like him is not to be objective because here's a guy that went from being a reality television star and a real estate developer 18 short months later into the American presidency. So mm-hmm. if you want to discount that, you can, but then you're not being objective. And so mm-hmm. he has a smash mouth shock jock. He's the Howard Stern of presidents. Okay. He's coming at you mm-hmm. with his verbal fists, banging you in the face and the neck to get you to listen to him. Okay. So what happens with Donald Trump, he's a he's a verbal rubbernecker. He's speaking. You slow down your channel changing because you want to rubberneck his verbal car crash. OK, that's Donald <laughs> Trump. So there was no coaching of Donald Trump. There was no way to communicate with Donald Trump that led to anything uh, positive. So if I wrote down something for him, he went into the Rose Garden And let's say I said the accurate number, 86, we have an 86% success rate on this, blah, 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 blah. He would go into the Rose Garden and say, our success rate is 95%. Mm -hmm. Then he'd come back into the Oval Office and we were like watching it on TV in the study. I'm like, why didn't you just say 86? I mean, that's the right number. Ah, 95 sounded better. (laughs) And I'm like, well, you're going to get four Pinocchios tomorrow in the Washington Post. Why do we need that? Ah, you don't know what you're talking about. So ultimately, he he liked the puffery. He liked the promotion. He was absolutely uncoachable by anybody. Okay. Moreover, you know, Stormy Daniels told me uh, that he had unapokapishadel. You know, I'll translate that for you into Yiddish. He had a tiny schmeckle. Okay. So when I was on the Bill Maher show, he told me it was like a little tiny schmeckle. It looked like a shiitake mushroom. I almost threw up in my mouth, by the way. (laughs) And I was like, okay. And my wife was there. I said, okay, I haven't been to a Japanese restaurant in three years since Stormy Daniels told me on the Bill Maher show, (laughs) Unapoka Pichadel, right? So that explains everything, right? Because you could reverse engineer the whole personality into that, right? Trump has heard four words that no guy can survive. You want to hear the four words? Loved it. Oh, I, I know what it is. Go ahead. Is it in yet? Is it in yet, Donald? <laughs> you know what I mean? The poor, poor guy, right? So this is a guy, big buffoon, 
okay, uh, has to bank strippers and uh, prostitutes because nobody can feel the action. You know what I mean? And so that's why he's in a constant state of overcompensation. And he's also, you know, he's probably got like a learning disability where he can't read. So he's in a insecurity trap in his own mind intellectually. So can't talk to anybody. And if anybody looks or feels smarter than him, he'll either fire them or steamroll them, right? Mm-hmm. You know, a real leader, an A leader hires A plus people and then listens to them and, and tries to orchestrate. A B or a C leader hires D's and F's. You see what yeah. I mean? Mm-hmm. So like, uh, I, there was no way, there was no way I was lasting. I told, you know, I told Steve Colbert, I said, well, you know, I didn't think I was going to get blown out like a cart before the carton of milk spoiled in the refrigerator. Yeah. I didn't think that was going to happen. I didn't think it was going to last a long time. I told the Oxford Union, I thought the gig was going to be 30 to 60 days because of the mania and the craziness that was going on. And then, of course, mm-hmm. I said something about Steve Bannon, which is not true. Right? I said Steve was sucking his own dick in the in his office. <laughs> you know, he's also somebody. No way he can fucking do that. And and, and so the, the reporter like runs out. I mean, the, I mean, the guy was such a jerk off. Right. Yeah. So he's a guy I knew. My father knew his father, who's an Italian kid from Long Island. And, you know, he had to betray me like that. That's fine. I, I, it's my fault. I never blamed it on anybody else. I owned it. Yeah. But, but you asked the question about answering questions. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I only had one press conference. I think there was like 25 million people that saw it, according to uh, some of my friends in the media. It was a. Uh, 2 15, three o'clock in the afternoon, you know, press conference on July 21st, 2017. So it's almost five years ago. I got to the podium and I took questions. What was interesting is the hour before Sarah Huckabee Sanders, I walked into her office. There were 40 people in the office. I'm like, what are these people doing? She said, well, they're here to brief you on the press conference. I said, brief me on what? She said, well, this guy's Afghanistan. That's North Korea. This guy's on the economy. This guy's on the Russian sanctions. And I looked at them. I said, okay, guys, get out of the office. Okay. There's no way you're going to fill my head with all of that data before I go up there. What I'm going to do is listen to the questions. I'm going to speak authentically to people. And by the way, if I don't know the answer, I'm going to say, you know what? I don't know the answer to that. I got to get back to you. Let me get your name and let's have a conversation when the press conference over. Let's go to the next question. Mm-hmm. So I did that for 40 straight minutes. When I got off the podium, uh, I was walking back upstairs to the Oval Office. My phone was ringing and it was a well-known guy in the Republican Party circles. And he said, are you crazy? I said, what do you mean? He says, you can't talk like that to the press. You're in Washington. You're talking to the White House. You can't tell the truth to the press. <laughs> what the hell are you doing? I've got congressmen. I've got aides up here on the Hill they're like, what information do you have on this guy? We got to get rid of this guy. This guy doesn't know what he's doing. You know, you know, yeah. there's an allergy to the truth in Washington. And they like the numbness of the dishonesty. They like the numbness. You know, you know, you turn mm-hmm. it on, you hear blah, 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 blah. Okay, that's another person just speaking spin in Washington. Yeah, uh, They like that. That's comforting to them uh, because they can keep their machinations and their game going. Yeah. But 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 if you're if you're asking me for that advice, you answer the question that someone asks you and you listen to the goddamn question. And if you don't know the answer, you say, I don't know the answer. You don't have to be the genius on everything because you're not. Nor am I, by the way. I mean, you touched on a little bit of Napoleon complex, the authenticity. Napoleon, he's a tall guy. He's a big, <laughs> fat son of a bitch. And he's very tall. <laughs> but he had a, you know, I don't know what that is. It's like, a you know. <laughs> Tiny We're going to have to learn how to say that not, correctly. He's not a Napoleon. It's a different thing with the Napoleons. A Putin's more like a Napoleon. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, Putin's enough. got the whole height issue and he's got to overcompensate with the missiles. Oh, you know, all that shit. These people are fucking crazy. I mean, come on, man. Here's <laughs> the problem with the earth, okay? Because if the aliens show up, they're like, you guys are fucking like slightly evolved apes. I mean, what the fuck <laughs> is going on here? So they don't even probably want to be involved with us, right? But, yeah. but the truth of the matter is a very small group of people ruin it for the other people. So if you live in New York City, they're taking human defecation on the street, they're dropping heroin needles, but it's only like three or four thousand people. So you let this woke, ridiculous legal culture uh, allow three or four thousand people to destroy the city. You know, you could round them all up, clean up the streets, make the place safer. I don't know why you would let three or four thousand people terrorize 
the other eight and a half million people. So that's ridiculous. And right. then it's the same thing on a global scale. You know, Putin is a malevolent, narcissist, mm-hmm. sociopath, very bad dude. And you're letting him do this stuff. And, you know, you didn't offer any vicious policy of deterrence or containment. And this is something you had to do over 30 years. And by the way, he's bought and paid for a lot of politicians, including politicians in this country. So mm-hmm. so that's why that happened. But, you know, he's up against it now. He'll be gone. You know, you know, yeah. you don't have to read a lot about mob culture to know that he's upset the apple cart for mm-hmm. the captains and his mob. You know, they're not they're not into the hey, man, I can't get to my friend chalet and you're taking my private aircraft and you're taking my yacht. They're not into it. Okay, so they're going to put a hurt on them. It's like the cancel culture canceled one of the, the biggest biggest names, of course. Uh, and, and I loved what you were saying, really, just about being your authentic self. You know, I think that's why, you know, in this world of CNN and Fox, I think both sides are, are get paid to be dramatic and, and to sensationalize everything. Right. And so, yes, you know, it's been really refreshing here in voices like yourself. And I, I remember that that interview and I, I loved it. I was like, this guy is so refreshing. It, it sounds different. Right. And I think why Joe Rogan has been so successful, too, is like, you know, he'll bring on people from both sides and people that mainstream media may not bring up because of that reason. Right. And so. I'm just curious too. You mentioned, you know, you got fired uh, from the White House, but like, I guess, and you gave a few examples, but what do you think like the hardest part, whether it's political in, in nature or even in business uh, that you've had in your head kind of is like the hardest thing for what made you learn, I guess, moving forward in terms of like the hardest thing you had to deal with? Well, let's talk about Joe Rogan for a second. Yeah. So Joe Rogan, because I do listen to him and I'm very impressed with him. Uh, and I love the way he questions people. And I think there's an open mindedness to what he's doing. I'm not in love with the anti-science stuff. You know, I wish mm-hmm. that we had an objective standard on some of that stuff. And I think that's where he got himself in trouble. But here's something that Joe Rogan did, which I unbelievably admire. Hey, I got that wrong. I apologize for getting yep. that wrong. Mm-hmm. Let's go forward. Now, mm-hmm. anybody that hasn't gotten something wrong, raise your hand. You can throw the first rock. OK, but I've gotten so many things wrong in my life. You guys don't have the time in your podcast or the year <laughs> or your lifetime to hear all the things that I've gotten wrong. And so my thing for people is you get something wrong, you have a failure or a setback, you own it and you move on. So mm-hmm. the worst decisions, though, I think are pride based decisions, you know, mm-hmm. Uh, well, Donald Trump's offering you to be the White House communications director. You're not suited for the job. Why are you taking the job? Well, I'm taking the job because my ego is speaking. Uh, I went to Harvard Law School and Tufts University from a blue collar family. Now I've got a chance to work for the American president. I've built two successful businesses in the United States. I'm going to go work for the American president. Well, the American president's a nut job. Well, no, that's okay. That doesn't fit my narrative. This is my narrative. This is my ego. This is my egocentrism. And so I think that's where you make very big mistakes. And of course, I made a colossal mistake there, both in judgment and, uh, you know, too impetuous, all of that sort of stuff. So so that's number one. But my biggest mistake was not the Trump White House or anything like that. My biggest mistake, frankly, was the situation with my wife. Um, Ultimately, I loved her. She loves me. We love each other. And there was a series of miscommunications and missteps. And so what I would tell people is you, you got people that you really love, pay attention. Mm. Don't get distracted. Stop doom scrolling. Okay. You got someone you really love in your life, drop the situation and be present with the person. Yeah. Okay. And so if you do that, you're going to be well served. If you don't do that, you could have a breach in something that's very dear to you. And so, but again, you make the mistake, own the mistake and see if you can repair it. And I was lucky to do that. Uh, And so another lesson for pounding the table, you know, you got to stay in things. Don't be in the disposable business. You're disposing your razor you're throwing out your paper plate and your plastic cup and your, mm-hmm. your water bottle for your bottled water, but don't throw your relationships out. You know, yeah. uh, relationships go up and down. They can be uneven. The contributions can be uneven, but don't give up on them. Uh, mm-hmm. Work at them. 
you know, and that that's a big lesson for me, you know, in terms of where I am. Well, I just got married uh, this in August. All right, well, so, congratulations. I, I took that one to heart. I was, I was really taking work, that one work in. Work on it. Work <laughs> on it because, you know, you're trying to build your career. You know, you'll likely have children. So there's mm -hmm. a level of distraction there. Um, you don't need the phone on all day staring at the phone. And mm -hmm. you're talking to a phoneaholic and a phone addict. Right. Uh, who, who happens to, you know, in, in my, I'm trying to be a recovering phone addict. Right? <laughs> that hit me too. Like I was going through, I recently went through a breakup as well. So I definitely uh, took that one in. So let's, let's move over to something. Switching uh, gears. Yeah. That you're really, really, really uh, passionate about. I know you love crypto. So in January, you told CNBC to take a chill pill, stay long, Bitcoin, other cryptos like Algo and ETH. You think you're going to be very well served long-term in those investments any social or political barriers, you know, that you see hindering the growth of crypto besides the Fed, liquidity and risk on risk off correlation, all that kind of stuff? Well, you know, look, I'm I'm a big believer in the space and I'm a big mm. believer in the future and the, and the progress that the blockchain is going to make for the society. I think those coins are going to be successful. Uh, some of them trade terribly right now. Algo has traded terribly. Mm. It's off. It's off 60 ish percent from its high. Mm -hmm. um, I think we've got a big seller in there. Uh, somebody that bought the algos very early and have now decided that they're capitulating. So I don't know when that selling is going to abate. I think the technology is robust. And I think it will be successful. It's got all the ingredients to be successful, but it has a really bad group of holders, if you will. It has weak mm -hmm. holders in the portfolio. Mm -hmm. so Paper hands. Yeah, hopefully we can shake those guys out. But the other, the other guys, and I think what I would say to you is, this is an early adoption technology. This is not an inflation hedge. It's not a exactly. full-fledged currency. This is uh, Facebook early on, Google early on, Amazon goes public in 1997. If you had a $10,000 investment, it's worth $21 million today. But man, you had to go through eight periods of time where you lost half your money, mm -hmm. one period of time where you lost... 90% of your money. And so what I would say to you guys is, you know, you got to be in it and you got to be patient and you got to lock it away. You know, there was a great movie years ago and I'm going to draw a blank on it, but Brendan Fraser was in the movie with Christopher Walk Walken. Okay. He played his, he played the dad of the, uh, of the wife and, and, of the uh, of the the wife of Brendan Fraser, mm -hmm. and they were going into a bomb shelter, okay, and because they thought it was 1962, and they were going into a bomb shelter because there was a war going to break out. I guess it was the Cuban Missile Crisis, and so the name of the movie was Blast from the Past. Yeah, I was they, thinking so they, it's not Biodome. I was like, wait, it's something all else. All right, so the movie was that. in 1999. Brendan Fraser, Alicia Silverstone. It was a rom com. Okay, but uh, what ends up happening is they're living underground and they send Brendan Fraser up from underground. And of course, he meets Alicia Silverstone, but he's lived underground for his entire life. Mm. And, you know, his father says, if the world is still there, here's the key to the safe deposit box. And he goes to the safe deposit box and he opens the box. And there's IBM and uh, Bell Telegram, which, you know, te telephone, which became AT&T and all these great stocks. Right. And so there's a situation where they don't sell a share. They don't think about it. They're in the bomb shelter for 30 years. But the guy had these stocks and the bank manager looks at Brendan Fraser. He says, yeah, I think he got $450 million of stock. <laughs> you know, the, the point being is like, if you bought Apple computer in 1988 and you went into a bomb shelter and you yeah. came out of the bomb shelter today, 34 years later, you're like, that was an awesome thing. You missed Steve Jobs <clears throat> leaving, you missed the near bankruptcy and you've got a $2 trillion company on your hands. You see, you see, you see what I'm saying? And so- mm -hmm. I'm trying to I'm trying to help people think about this stuff very, very long term. Mm -hmm. Don't watch it. Either get long it and have it as a five year play and write it down to zero. Say, okay, put five percent of my net worth in this. I've got 95 cents left. It is worthless. I'll never see the money again. 
Let me put it away. Don't look at it. I don't look at it every day. Right. You know, how do you say? And if I'm looking at it, I'm looking at it because, you know, I've got client money in it. I'm talking about my own personal investments. I don't look at it every day. So that's, I'll go off script a little bit from some of the questions we had, because I think, you know, given our, our audience, whether it's crypto, you know, whether it's, it's, it's DeFi or, or probably more so for crypto and, and for stocks from a psychological standpoint, it sounds easy to go into a bomb shelter, you know, come out 30 years later, but you know, the, the, the bomb shelter doesn't exist in people's head. There's a bomb going off right now, yeah. uh, literally and metaphorically, uh, you know, within the yeah. stock market. Everybody is a long-term investor until they have short-term losses, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the minute they get the short-term losses, they want to set their hair on fire and they want to run around in a circle and they want to be mad at everybody. And I yeah. think it's a ter- I think it's a terrible, terrible mistake. You know, if, if it was easy, everybody would have a private plane. Yeah. Everybody would be <laughs> on a yacht. It's not easy. This is a game that requires discipline, analysis, toughness. Uh, this is a this is a game where if you, you're right on the fundamentals and the market's going against you, or there's variables outside of your control, like a global war, you got to stay in there. You know what I mean? You can't flinch. Yeah. You know, you know, when when you get to Paris Island as a Marine and you hear gunshots, you're scared. You want to run away from the bullets. But you're trained for the eight weeks to run towards the bullets. You have to do that in investing. Mm-hmm. I love that. That was really cool. Yeah. And just to touch on that, uh, I was looking at data that is showing that you know, the best performing accounts at all these brokerages are people who are dead. So definitely right to that point that you were saying there, you know, it's that's surprising to me. I read that and I was pretty shocked. Oh yeah. It doesn't surprise me because, you know, if you're dead, you're not making impetuous short-term decisions. Right. Yeah. Dead is forever guys. Live your life, you know, and remember what Mel Brooks said about life. Relax. None of us are getting out of here alive. Exactly. It's a great my, line. My dad says Live death your and life. taxes, death and taxes. So coming back to crypto real quick, uh, Skybridge, I know has worked with first trust uh, to launch the first trust Skybridge, Bitcoin and Ethereum funds in addition to a crypto industry and the digital you know, economy ETF. So for those of you know out there that are listening that maybe not know about some of these areas of investing that you can get into, you know, what are some of the upsides to investors choosing something like this as an investment product over just buying something directly on, on Coinbase, for example? Well, you know, I'm an old timer now, right? I'm doing this 34 years. So my clients are also likely to be old timers. You're of the age where you should go to Coinbase, buy the stock, you know, buy the mm-hmm. cryptocurrency, hold it and put it away. But I think the people I'm talking to, uh, they probably are not as sophisticated as you guys are in all of the new technologies. And they're probably more comfortable with me and me holding it for them and having mm-hmm. an accountant and an auditor in a private partnership with a recognition that we're going to convert that private partnership into an ETF. Uh, when and if, and I, I predict it'll happen this year, the SEC allows for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm dealing. So I actually switched over to the crypto industry. I work for a, a company called Prime Trust, and, and it's really interesting seeing traditional IRAs and, and wealth managers trying to, you know, tackle this, right? And I think a lot of what you're saying rings true is like you're talking to the, a lot of these, these guys and, and their customer base has no idea. Like my, my parents are just figuring out how to text, you know, right now. So let alone getting into crypto or DeFi for that matter, uh, that's not happening. So everyone knows Bitcoin, Ethereum, et cetera. You know, wh- why Algo and, and, and I guess some of these more alternative coins out there, like how do you go about analyzing these, right? They don't have like the fundamentals of a stock. So you're looking at some of the technology or how, how do you kind of understand which one you're looking at? Well, so, you know, again, I want to bore everybody, but like Bitcoin has its strengths and weaknesses. Ethereum has its strengths and weaknesses. Uh, one of the dilemmas, which they call the trilemma, mm-hmm. there are three issues these guys are trying to solve for scalability, security, interoperability, right? Those things they're trying to solve for. And so, you know, Bitcoin has limited, frankly, ETH has a lot of that. And ETH, you can create a lot of smart contracts on and layer on top of it to do transactions. So, you know, if you read the white paper from Silvio McCalley, the founder of Algorand, he used his technology training, his cryptographic experience. He won the Turing Award, which is like the Nobel Prize for mm. computer programming. And he solved for that trilemma. 
And so he's got a great technology. It is unforkable. It has little to no gas fees. It has a net negative carbon footprint. Okay, so it's net negative carbon. Um, and so it has got all of the properties that make it better. Now, ETH to me is like the Microsoft operating system for a PC. Apple's operating system was way better, but it needed to catch up. ETH to me, you guys aren't old enough to remember this, but when I was logging on the internet your age, I was using America Online. Yeah, I'm old enough. <laughs> I was using Alta Vista. And then this, this upstart came along called Google. I don't know if you ever heard of that company, but in 1998, Google came on the scene and people are like, well, why do I need Google? I mean, I've got this other thing and, and I'm logging on with Prodigy or AOL. And people are like, well, you know, Google's going to be way faster. The search yeah. mechanisms and the logarithms and the rankings are going to be way more improved. And lo and behold, Google took 90% of the market yeah. share in search. And so mm -hmm. I think we're just so early. Could a technology like Algorand leapfrog everything and eclipse yeah. those others because of the technical properties of Algorand? Yeah. Mm -hmm. However, up against that, though, they, they have a shitty uh, start because I don't think they allocated properly. Uh, and this is the classic dilemma for the academic. You know, he's trying to do the right thing. And he probably didn't put it together the way ETH did or Solana did, mm -hmm. you know, and they, they didn't lock up these people long enough to really mm -hmm. get the traction needed in the marketplace. So, so like, uh, yeah. you know, can we clean that up now? And can that happen? Maybe. I mean, I hope it can. You know, we're, we're working on a couple of interesting things for them, which I think will be very positive. So it's like a roadshow almost for, for, for a company going to VCs. Mm -hmm. that you're saying like the initial buyers that are buying bulks. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's super cool. I mean, I think a lot of people are very gun ho about ETH and Bitcoin, but to your point of something could just leapfrog against it. It's very possible. I mean, that's how history is. Something could just come out with way better tech and just get way more traction and, and be the next ETH or Bitcoin. So I'm, I'm actually always just scanning and looking for that. Kevin O'Leary recently said on the news that he believes crypto platforms are going to eventually be the 12th largest sector in the S&P 500, right? Is, is that something you agree with? I know you're very deep into the, the game and you talk about uh, crypto quite a bit. Are you ready to agree with Kevin on something like this? Well, for the most part, I am. You know, I love Kevin. I think he's uh, I think he's an amazing guy. He's a brilliant entrepreneur. I'll tell you that the bet. I mean, there's a lot of great things about Kevin, but one of the best things is when he gets something wrong, mm -hmm. he has enough maturity, emotional self-confidence to say, hey, I got this wrong and he reverses course. And so if you were with Kevin in uh, late 2020, very negatively biased towards crypto, Bitcoin, cryptocurrencies in general, mm -hmm. but uh, to his credit and his intellectual curiosity, he did a tremendous amount of homework and he did a 180. And so mm -hmm. that to me is what's going to start happening. You know, yep. again, taking you back to memory, memory lane, a guy by the name of Bill Gates hated the internet. He said the internet was a fad. It was not going to last. It's ridiculous. <laughs> and then he it dawned on him that he got it wrong. And it's a very famous scene in Microsoft's history where uh, Gates turns to somebody and says, well, how many employees are there in Silicon Valley working on the internet? And somebody said 3,000. He said, okay, we're going to see that open land right here in Redmond and our campus. We're going to build a building. There. We're going to put 5,000 or 6,000. We're going to double the amount <laughs> and we're going to compete with them. The point being is, when you're wrong and you make a reversal, I think you're in, you're at that's your finest hour because mm -hmm. you're going to get things wrong. When you're wrong and you go into missile lock of stubbornness and stupidity, uh, that's a really bad sign. But Kevin, reverse course. I think he's going to be long-term right. Mm -hmm. I think Kevin and I probably shade difference on timing. I think he thinks it's going to happen faster than I do. Uh, I think these things have a tendency to take longer than we'd like to. It's like yeah. building a house or renovating your apartment. You know, the contractor tells you it's going to be done in six months, <laughs> better budget 12. Right. Okay. And after, after 18 months, it's done. Yeah, and you know what I'm talking about. So yeah. these things just take a long time. If you had been on this podcast with me a year ago, I would have said there would have been widespread institutional adoption for cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin mm -hmm. by- March of 2022. That did not happen. 
So we have to mm-hmm. be cautious and we have to be measured, but I do think the trend is there and I think it will happen. It's just a matter of when. Mm-hmm. Real quick on that, Tony, before, before you pop into the, the other one. Um, so how much do you think that has to do with bureaucracy versus just genuine adoption and, and risk tolerance? Bureaucracy and in, in terms of government regulatory. Right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, some of it is definitely that. I mean, you know, they're, they're cautious, they're concerned. Mm-hmm. Institutions and regulators take this to the bank. The number one axiomatic fact, please do not make me look stupid. That's number mm-hmm. one. Number two, axiomatic fact, please don't put me in a position where I could get fired. Okay, so I don't want to put Bitcoin in the portfolio. Bitcoin goes to zero. I look stupid. I get fired, right? I don't want to take on this regulatory issue right now because if I get it wrong, investors get hurt. I look stupid. I get fired. So what we have to do is we have to calm these people down and explain to them that, as Steven Mnuchin said, uh, the former secretary of treasury, there are use cases for this stuff and you better understand what they are. Mm -hmm. Love that. You have to go in a minute. I just have to ask one question really quick about uh, NFTs. You know, yeah, that's definitely like a huge, uh, huge reason why ETH did so well the last year. Uh, most people think it's a fad, but you know, to that point you just said about Bill Gates thinking the same thing and knowing that board apes are a five billion dollar valuation trying to get funding right now. What do you think about that? Well, some of it, I, I don't know if it's board apes. I don't know who it is, but mm-hmm. some of it's going to crash. Okay. There's 8,000 cryptocurrencies. We're uh-huh. going to get down to 25 of them. You know, uh-huh. you could have opened a book in the 1910s, you know, 1900 uh-huh. to 1910. Mm-hmm. And you open up a phone book. They're all motors in the companies because the motor industry was a hot thing at the time. You were switching from horse and carriages to horseless carriages. And so everybody had a hot name called motor. hundred years later, everybody was dot-com. This is a dot-com. That's a dot-com. Mm-hmm. Pets.com. Many of that, uh-huh. those, those things had bad business models and they went out of business. The interesting thing about what's going on right now, again, these are my opinions, 8,000 cryptocurrencies, you're going to get down to 25 of them. Uh-huh. You know? So is Bored Apes going to be a survivor? I actually going to make a prediction here and say yes, because it's unique art, the way they did it, the way they designed it, and they've created this very robust community. Mm-hmm. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end it on this thought, okay? Uh, so you'll get where I am on the NFTs. There is a piece of cardboard. It's about this big. It was printed. It was cut and printed in the early 1950s. So it was in the mid-century of the last century. And they put four color process print on it. And on one side was a picture of Mickey Mantle in his rookie season. And on the other side was his statistics from the minor league and his height and weight. A little piece of paper, cardboard, 1952 rookie year, Mm -hmm. uh, just recently sold for 5.2 million US dollars. So if you tell Mm -hmm. me that there isn't an opportunity, if you tell me that there isn't a uh, future for NFTs, you are sorely mistaken. And just think mm-hmm. of that. Yeah. And my couldn't guys, agree I more. Love you guys, I wish you well, but I got to take this. And God bless you guys. All right. Thank you, much. Appreciate it. Tony, to wrap it up, I know you said earnings do not matter at all, but we got to take a quick look here. Uh, Tuesday, we got Dick Sporting Goods, Desktop Metals. We got Figs, MongoDB. Wednesday, Asana, CrowdStrike. That's going to be a very interesting one with everything going on. Mm-hmm. Marquette Oatly. We were just talking about the price of oats. And I was tweeting at Rahul. That could be a really bad guidance call for Oatly. Though. Thursday, we got DocuSign, uh, Rivian, and then we got Fuchu on Friday. So... Tony, as always, I know you had a few thoughts. Yeah, as I said, right, like earnings started to matter a little bit, but quickly, you know, once the war came, it stopped mattering again, right? And as I said, when correlations are the same, everything shit, when correlations start actually breaking apart from each other, things are actually much better. So you just got to wait for correlations to change, right? You'll start seeing relative strength. You've got ARC all the way back down to where it was pre-COVID, in fact, lower. So if you take out the fact that Tesla is like the only thing that's held up for them, and that's like over 10% of their stuff now. So that's really important to note. But what I will say, 
to moving forward is like, yes, this is the time to start looking at the companies that you know fundamentally are going to do really well. But like, it's not the time to be like, oh, because it's X price down, it's it's a good buy. All right. Like, I, I think that you're going to see that the fact that Amazon went to seven dollars in two thousand and one, even though the company underneath it grew X hundreds of percent. You know, Bezos started his his quarterly letter with like, ouch. Right. So. That's exactly the situation it is going to be for many of these companies. I will say for those earnings, though, you, n- you listed a lot of cloud names, and those are names that are like surprisingly far better in this condition. And that's because of their margins, and that's because of their low capex and such. And so while fundamentals don't matter individually for companies at this point, like they do, I guess, matter sector-wise, and cloud valuations are lower than they were for ma- many of these you know, beast companies uh, pre-COVID. So you know, I, w- I would not be surprised to see some of those companies actually like not do poorly on their re- reactions. Like MongoDB is always a surprising upset to many people. CrowdStrike is definitely not not doing well during all this crisis of cybersecurity around the world, especially the fact that so many crypto sites and so many different Web3 platforms are being made, powered by CrowdStrike, powered by Cloudflare. And so like those companies, and even like I've mentioned this so many times, like TTD, Datadog, those names are holding up the best. And that's because of you know what is actually fundamentally behind those companies in terms of like the high margin, low capex businesses. However, they are at high multiples, so people are you know forecasting high growth. Just moving forward, though, like you really just got to understand that like everything that people think about this evangelized sense of investing is just not true. You're playing RuneScape with the bigger players or the guys who own the fucking Grand Exchange, and that's just the way it rolls. So don't get steamrolled. Roll the necklace. Lock yourself in a bombshell like uh like Mooch said for 30 years. That's a big move. I'm making big moves. That's a big move. Big money, big moves. That's a big move. Yeah. Make a play, don't talk about it. Master P, I'm about it, about it. This one here for all that try to count me out and they still counting. Honestly, I never doubt it. Say the top is never crowded. Well, I'm trying to climb the mountain till I need a Counting sock is rising, perfect timing. I'm in prickle with the tribe. Charlie sliding, she wants sushi, she wants eel sauce for the rice. I just peel off with the light, took her heels off for the ride. Don't say real talk, just a lie. I'm a real one, I provide, yeah. Drip on a hundred.